The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga with yogis from around the world. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. From Spirituality and Health magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Victoria Sweet, an associate clinical professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco prize-winning historian with a PhD in history, and the author of two fascinating books, God's Hotel and Slow Medicine, The Way to Healing. Her essay, The Secret of Healing Touch, appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Sweet, welcome to Essential Conversations. Well, this is really interesting. I like anything with the word slow in it. So this slow medicine just appeals to me, and and I'm assuming it has something to do uh, that it, it doesn't have anything to do with how long it takes me to get into the doctor's office. That's just about that's what I think of when I think of slow. But we're talking about something else. Can you define what slow medicine is and and, and how it's a critique of, oh, I guess mainstream medicine? Well, so so the whole idea of slow medicine actually comes out of slow food. So it's one of these ideas, and I'm not the only one who came up with it either. Around the same time, about six or seven different people I've heard about, mostly docs, came up with this idea that, wow, you know, if there's slow food, there should be slow, slow medicine. And it's actually, I would say it's best defined as the opposite, in the same way that slow food's kind of the opposite of fast food. That's almost how it's defined. In that way, I would define slow medicine as the opposite of fast medicine and then go from there. So it's not about... Uh, the actual minutes that you spend. It's more about style. It's more about what you do with the time that you have. And it also has something to do with a general style that's more about process um, than about checking off buttons or boxes and billing and uh, achieving some kind of quality assurance measures that you know your insurance company puts out. I got the sense that it... it- uh, this is probably wrong, and you, uh, please correct me. But it seemed like a throwback to a different time when, not exactly the time when doctors made house calls, but that's the kind of thing I had in mind. I know that when I go to to my physician, who I, I really admire, 
I, I go through two or three people who do take me through the same checklist over and over and over again before I ever see the doctor. But you're talking about the doctor spending quality time, oh, but not just with the symptoms or even the cause of the symptoms that you're, you're presenting, but with the person as a person. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it is a throwback. I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily use those words, but in the, you know, I think what you're getting at, it is saying that we've wandered off the path of the essence of medicine, which is not checking off boxes. I mean, to me, the essence of medicine is actually simple. Somebody comes to you, me, who uh, becomes a patient just because they're sick or they felt some horrible thing in their neck or they're worried about something, but they, there's something wrong with them. That's why they come to me, right? Usually, almost right. always. And my job is fundamentally to figure out what is the diagnosis and what is the treatment. And I think that is a throwback because I think that's been lost in, a, in this whole movement towards healthcare. And so I don't mind calling it a throwback, but it's not to like, you know, 500 years ago, it's to not very long ago, where before we kind of, we just wandered off on this, to me, strange path where the patient is, is not seen at all. And the fact of the matter is, is pe- pe- people are people, patients are actually people, and they present their diseases in an individual fashion. So what I found over my career, again, this isn't that, this is not a hypothesis, this is the, the result of many, many years of seeing literally thousands of patients and gradually coming to the conclusion that if I could do just one thing, if I could only do one thing with the patient, it would be to be in the same room and just be quiet for about a minute. That if I could only do one thing. And if I could do the second thing, even before the patient started talking and I would be listening, it would be examining the patient, it would be touching the patient, not for the sake of touching the patient, but because the patient's body is actually where the disease is. It's not an abstraction, you know. It's in that particular body, and I think a doctor with a lot of experience can find out a lot from the physical exam and that one or two minutes of just being in a common presence together. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I used the word throwback. That wasn't a criticism. I mean, that was sort of a, yeah, right. So, so as a historian, so, I mean, you come with this with both hats. Uh, can you see the turning point where, I mean, I mean, what was it? Was it capitalism drove us to do the other or where do, where do we lose? Well, it's a, it's a beautifully complex question because on the one hand, um, I see the, the sort of slow medicine style and, and the fast medicine style as working best together and not as in contradiction. So I actually kind of, I'm a little bit slippery with how I use slow slow medicine in a way. Um, And and it's pertinent to your question because mm, in one way you could say that we ended up with the medicine that we have, that we had, let's say, about 20 years ago. Let me start there. Um, Because really that's the, in part, the throwback that we're not going very far back. The medicine we have uh, developed out of this, the 19th century idea that the body was best understood as a machine. And that was a new idea in the 19th century. And that had to do with their discovery of machines and what they could do for us and the whole factory model. 
and it's a very useful way of looking at the body, but it's not the whole story. So in the la- for the last couple of hundred years, we've been developing that idea, and we've had immense progress. And the other idea, the older idea that I discovered in my PhD was that before body is machine, there was body as plant. And the essence of that is that because a plant fundamentally can mend itself, there the doctor becomes more like a gardener than a mechanic. So on the one hand, the, some of the slow medicine stuff go, does go way back to pre-modern medicine. If you sort of see their model as that model as body as plant, doctor as gardener, slow medicine. And that we lost that when we began concentrating on, on body as machine. But the fact is that really that whole way of looking at patients is intrinsic to medicine. And when the doctor has enough time and enough space and enough personal time with patients, they, a doctor naturally does that unless they're stopped from doing it. And so the reason why I only go back about 20 years is because starting about 20 years ago and really just in the last 10 years, it's become literally impossible for the doctor to look at you any other way than not even as a machine, really, or as a plant, but as a computer yourself. That's what the doctor is doing. The doctor is looking in the computer most of the time. Okay. I, I, this, this is not what I expected to talk about, but this is really fascinating. I mean, this is a book all in itself. Body is plant, and then we move to body as machine, and now body as computer. So. I mean, you can see medicine, or I, I guess the, the, let's just, again, you can correct me here, but, but if the central metaphor of medicine was body is plant, and then as we move away from the whole, our connection to the plant world, to, to, to the ecosystem, into the machine world, then our metaphor becomes body is machine, and our medicine becomes body is machine. So now now we're moving toward, I mean, what some people call the synchronicity, you know, we are, it's not going to be a metaphor of body as machine. I mean, we're already replacing hips and ankles and who knows what else. So we may be on this trajectory of the transhuman where the body is in fact a computer. Um, What, what is that? (laughs) This seems like we're getting further and further away from health. Well, yes. I mean, it's, really fascinating because in my lifetime as a doc, we, we sort of discover that, I mean, it's not an accident that when we discovered DNA, we, we, we discovered it as a code and that we're now talking about disease as broken codes and we're going to edit the code, right, with a whole CRISPR thing. This is not an accident. This is how it works. And the reason is, is because the body, the real body that you have and I have is actually uncanny. It doesn't work. It's, it's completely different from a machine or a plant or a computer, but we can only understand it from what's around us, what we're used to. And since we're now used to screens, it's, it's, it's really understanding the body as a screen, the body as this, that behind that screen is this code. And, and so the way to correct a disease is to edit the code. That's, that's where we're moving into. And this is really fascinating because it sounds like, sound, to me, it's really frightening. Um, because what, seem, what we're missing is, I mean, where am I in this? So, you know, if, it's one thing if the body's a machine and, and the doctor is helping me. Uh, I'm in the machine, you know, the, the deus ex machina kind of thing. I'm in the machine. And body is plant, so I'm in somehow in the plant. But body as code, 
there is nothing in the code. The code is the thing itself. So have I been reduced? I mean, is this what they teach in medical school that I'm, have they reduced the human simply to code? Well, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And we're headed there pretty quickly. And I have to tell you that even since, so I I published God's Hotel five years ago, and even in the last five years, it's, it's gotten really, I mean, there are books all over the place. The digital doctor, you know, virtual doctor, the, the virtual patient, you know, is, is, is something is out there. And that, that is actually what the, I don't know who to call them, corporations, the computer industry, what, whatever. I don't know what, I don't really want to be that pejorative, but where the money is going is into understanding the body purely as a code. And the ideal in that, the ideal is, is something to think about. I mean, in the ideal, if it worked, if, if you can reduce the body to a screen, really, it's really the body is screen behind which is a code, right? And you, that, that's kind of the model is that um, the, 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 what they're selling is this idea that I could sit at home and not feel well. And then I could, you know, go on the computer or ideally, you know, go to some virtual algorithm, really, put in my symptoms, press a button, and Amazon would drone deliver me the right medicine. In right. fact, you know, even maybe if I needed a surgery, out of the drone would come two little robot surgeons <laughs> in my own kitchen table. You talk about a throwback. The surgeons could not operate on my liver, mind you. They would operate on my code. Yes, they would use right. this new CRISPR stuff, right, that they would have decided, ah, well, your problem is this liver enzyme. The liver enzyme is made by this gene, so we will now operate on your gene, and it will fix everything. I mean, that is the model that, that is being sold across the world now where all the money's going. Well, you can the see idea that. Is to, yeah, you go, sure. Because, I mean, every, you know, you're going to, yeah, so the, look, the idea is to have your, everybody's going to have their DNA um, um, sequence. Unf- so right. you're going to know, it's going to be in the sky. You're going to be like a barcode. Your barcode will be your DNA. And you can just go with that. You just go with that. And now with this whole CRISPR thing, which allows them supposedly of course, all of these things, the problem is not the model so much. I mean, if it worked, if, it, if I thought it would actually work, great. I mean, if I never had to go to the doctor again, I'd be thrilled. If I don't have to get inside machines and have people cut me open and give me nasty medications, super duper. But the problem is the body actually doesn't work the way they're talking about it. It doesn't work as that way. So um, I'm a little concerned um, about where we're headed, really. I'm quite a bit concerned. Well, I'm going to take this in a slightly more, even further into a dystopian model, and then I want to change topics very quickly. But, well, because there's something in the essay that I thought was really interesting. But, I mean, eventually we're going to be, we'll, we'll, we'll have ingested nanobots who will monitor our, our code continu- and our bodies continually, and you won't even have to call into Amazon. They'll be reading these things in real time continually, and they'll simply adjust They'll just adjust your body with or without your permission, according to some standard that is going to be driven by a corporation. <laughs> Not yet, I guess, but somebody should write that. That's your that's your next book. That that yeah, that scares. That's sort of scary. I love I love things dystopian. That's my thing. But anyway, 
Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Let me, let me switch gears with you because uh, in, in the short time we have left, in the magazine article, which was, again, these, all these things are really fascinating. You talk about, and you're going to have to define this for us, but uh, this patient who continually was going into VTech, and you'll have to tell us what that is, and how you brought this, this person back to normal uh, by massaging his carotid sinus. And, and again, you'll explain that to us, but you couldn't teach that to the nurses. So I, I, that, that was a shock that they couldn't learn it. So I want to talk more about that, but explain the situation to us first. So I was at the very end of my medical training. He was one of my last patients. And one of the reasons I had him specifically where it is in slow medicine as the book and is because he really opened a whole new chapter for me as a person, as a doctor, when this event happened. So this was at the end of all my training of learning about the body as machine and science and the craft of medicine. It's a science and a craft. But this was the moment in which I began to think that perhaps there was, there was more art to it than I realized. So it was at the very end, I was what's called a third year resident. You're in charge of the whole hospital at that point. I, was, I did internal medicine, which is, uh, well, it, it's sort of adult medicine. It's all the complicated diseases, usually more than one, um, but it's not being a surgeon. So so I was, uh, he was, I was on, I was responsible for the hospital and I got called down to the emergency room because Mr. Danska was a 45 year old, uh, man who was having a heart attack. And that means that there was, and there was a part of his heart that was damaged and it was causing an irregular heartbeat because it wasn't working quite right. It was irritable. It's what we call the irritable focus. And the, the irregular heartbeat he was having is called ventricular because it comes out of the ventricle of the heart. The heart is made up of atria and ventricles. He was having ventricular from his ventricle, which is the muscular part of the heart, tachycardia. And that means tachy from Greek is fast and cardia is heart. So he's having a fast heartbeat, very fast. And um, in the middle of a heart attack, those can deteriorate pretty quickly into what's called ventricular fibrillation, which doesn't carry any blood and the patient dies. So it's quite a dangerous rhythm. And he was in it, and normally what we do is we shock people out of it if we have to, or we give them medications to calm that part of the heart. But he had just come into the ER. They'd shocked him once. He'd gone back into a regular rhythm. But they wanted me as a senior resident to come down and escort him back up in the elevator because they didn't want him to be alone. And he was all hooked up with the monitors, and, and you know I could shock him. And as we were going up in the elevator, he did go into this ventricular tachycardia rate, and start to pass out because it can give you enough blood supply. And I didn't really want to shock him in the elevator because whenever you shock, I was all alone with an intern. You don't really know what's going to happen. So I was reluctant to during that uh, elevator ride. And I remembered that they taught us in medical school. Now, this is, an, this is a very mechanical thing. They taught us a way to, there's a little 
pocket of cells in your neck, and it's called the carotid, it's in the carotid artery, and it's sinus because that's Greek for like pocket. It's a little pocket of these special cells that monitor your blood pressure and your pulse. You talk about, you know, the nano companies monitoring us. Well, we already have that, that nature did. It monitors your blood pressure, your pulse, and it adjusts your pulse to your blood pressure. So if your blood pressure is real high, it lowers the pulse. And if your blood pressure is really low, it speeds the pulse up. And when you put pressure on that, when you massage that one spot in hard, the cells think your blood pressure is really high. And so it, they slow down the heart. And it's a way to cause, before we had electricity, um, it, was, it was a mechanical way to convert the heart from a ventricular tachycardia to a normal rhythm. And I'd learned it in medical school, so I decided to try it. And uh, my hands, you know, I just put it where I thought it was probably, and I pressed it. And sure enough, he flipped right back from this very bad heart rate into a normal rate. The elevator door opened. We go into the ICU. And um, the ICU was run by the ICU nurses and the cardiac care unit, and they're fantastic. That was one of the important things in this story for me is the cardiac care, there's nobody better than those cardiac nurses. They know everything. They do it all day long. So I left Mr. Dansky in their hands, and yet he, when he went back into, uh, because his, he was still having his heart attack, he went back into his ventricular tachycardia. They called me because they were about to shock him, and I said, well, let me try this carotid sinus massage again. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump in for a second because I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the clock. So you, you managed to bring him back to uh, normal rhythm with this um, this technique, but you tried to teach it to the nurses and they couldn't get it. What, so what's, what was the concern? That, that was the point of that whole story because I showed them where to do it. I showed them how to do it. And yet they kept calling me up all night long as he went into this, this special heart rhythm. And it seemed like it was just my fingers that could do it. Now we had a kind of, Mr. Danske and I had clicked together, whatever that means. We just liked each other. So I don't know how this all related, but what I noticed objectively is that they were fantastic, these nurses. I showed them where, I showed them how, and they couldn't do it. Well, it was more than a technique. I mean, that's what you seem to suggest, because you talk about the art of medicine. It was the art of medicine. I don't know. It's like, you know, my fingers just somehow knew where to go, even though, uh, you know, anatomy was never my forte. They just went there and I can see it today. I know exactly where my fingers would go in Mr. Downs' neck. I can just put it right on and I know how to do it. And I don't know how, how I know. So well, let, me, let, me, let me suggest how you know. <laughs> like I have the answer here. But based on, on your books that I, I read and then this article, it seemed to me that what you're saying is you knew for this guy because you had really been practicing, in a sense, slow medicine in that you had you knew him, you clicked with him, there was a relationship there. And how does that then, and this will be our closing, you know, your closing thought, but how, how if you can't teach the art, meaning if you can't turn the art simply into a, a mechanized system, then without slow medicine and without take, having nurses and doctors taking the time to be able to click with patients, what's the future then? I mean, how do we get, how do we get that to happen? I mean, is are people listening to you, or is it still, uh, we don't have time for this? Well, people are listening. Um, 
there's a whole lot of doctors out there who, this, this is not something you, you need to teach. I think it evolves naturally like any art, but you certainly can interfere with it. And what's actually, we don't need to teach it. We need to get out of its way. And you can just look at our budget and you can look at the amount of administrators, the amount of forms, the amount of time doctors are spending on the computer, on those screens, filling in forms. It's all of our time. So it's not something that has to be taught. It's something we have to get out of the way of in specific with medicine. And the way to do that is to make sure that the doctor has this particular kind of time that we've been talking about, which I'm calling slow time. It's time to be present. It's time to pay attention. It's, it's time to be quiet. And there's something magical that happens between two people and a dog and a person and even a pot and a person, I do believe. Wow. I mean, that's really fascinating. We're going to have to leave it there, but this is really the opening of a much bigger conversation, which I hope people will have, in a sense, by taking a look at your, at your two books. Our guest today was Dr. Victoria Sweet. She is the author of God's Hotel and Slow Medicine. That's the newer book, Slow Medicine, The Way of Healing. Her essay, The Secret of Healing Touch, appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. I encourage you, if you haven't read the essay in the magazine, please do so. And check out the books, because this is, a, this is really quite fascinating, but also life and death important. So, Victoria, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure. All mine. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness with yogis from around the world, and do so in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats, and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.